Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond. And on today's episode, we're chatting with Mary Haddock-Staniland. Mary is the SVP or Senior Vice President of DEIB and People at Evercommerce in APAC and EMEA. What is DEIB? It's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Belonging. And Mary and I are going to chat deeply about this. We're going to talk through... Mary being uh, an advocate in the community, a trans woman with a voice that is beautiful and empathetic and helpful in these really complex situations in life that we find ourselves in now, especially coming off the back of the Posey Parker rally recently. Mary and I talk about how we can bring voices together and how we can make people have interesting conversations with empathetic understanding of both sides so that we can come together and move forward as a humanity. And so I'm really looking forward to this podcast. I've tried to get Mary on the pod a few times. She's she's got a busy schedule. And so this is the third time lucky. And I'm so thankful that you're here today, Mary, and enjoy. Kia ora. Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. Yeah, so my question to you, I was watching the Lex Friedman podcast last night with Joe Rogan was on, and it was Lex was asking him about that time when Joe was trying, the people were trying to cancel Joe and how he handled that, and Joe was like, I don't ever watch, look at social media. I don't look at any of my comments. I don't look at any of that. I mm. just live my life knowing that I'm positive and happy and whatever happens behind it. And I was like, man, I can't, I can't do that. Like mm. I can't, I can't, like if, if notifications come up, I go, oh, I really shouldn't look, but I do. And, and I've been over my, over the years, I've been pretty confrontational online. Like, yes, you have. Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried to be authentically myself and hmm. some people resonate with that. Some people don't resonate with that, but it's hard not to sort of feel bad when you see people write things about you and people write things about me all the time you know and i'm like well you don't know me but you know it still makes me feel like shit Mm. so how do you like because you're way more famous than i am right (laughs) i'm really not but yes yeah and then obviously and then the nuance of you being a trans woman with a big voice in new zealand Mm. you get the assholes of the world mm-hmm. you know how do you how do you stay positive and just be yourself because every time i've seen you you are just a breath of fresh air positive um well that's very nice of you to say thank you i you know i'm unapologetically me and i'm 40 i i, I think i've only just started to scratch the surface of what i think i'm capable of doing in life yeah. and I don't really care what people think. I care about what my husband thinks. I care about what my family thinks. Sometimes I probably don't even care what my boss thinks. <laughs> um, I just want to be a force to create change. And so the comments in social media are aplenty because yeah. when you are out there sharing a message that's as important as the one that I do, you create groundswells of conversations that folks want to either lean into or not, and that becomes in its own self-controversial. But I choose to, I would be lying if I said it didn't affect me at times, but it's in pockets. And I'd like to think that the positives way out, way outdo the negatives. And actually, I get attention and most of it, I would say by and large these days is more positive than negative. It very much used to be a negative vibe. And yes, there are pockets of it, like I say, but 
I tend to not really give a fuck. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I've been out with you a bunch and yes. drinking sessions and yes. conferences and the likes. I don't think I've ever been in a room with anyone that's met you that doesn't like you, you know, and I think you're one of those people that's, it's hard not to like you, right? Like you're just yourself, fun, smart, and you're actually quite caring as well. Like, you know, like mm. you actually make a big effort with people. And so that's the thing I, ha- I that struggle with the social media is like you see a perception or you see a lens of that person, but you don't actually see the real person. And these horrible trolls and things that comment on me or you or anyone else. I'm like, man, it's, it's, that's their problem, right? That's something in their life that's going wrong that they feel they need to cause hurt and pain to someone else. And, you know, forget about them. I agree. Uh, yeah. And it sends, it sends um, a reassuring message that I'm clearly triggering people in a more impactful manner than I care to even realize because it is about the person at the end of the keyboard. And as you know, I've said over the years, I would absolutely encourage anyone to confront me in a cafe or a bar or a restaurant and have a fruitful conversation about the ones they've shared with me on Twitter or the gram or LinkedIn the day before via their keyboard. Often you would find that, in fact, I've never ever had that happen before where someone's come and had a yak with me in in real life IRL Um, because people can hide behind what they think is... Uh, an anonymous route. I mean, I've had death threats. I've had the police involved in that. I've had people come at me in all sorts of ways. Um, It hasn't stopped me from continuing to go from strength to strength and actually um, embrace the difference that I was brought into the world being and that I was born in the wrong body. And uh, I think I'm doing okay because of it. So, uh, you know, to those that have... Um, been so have been mean beans in the past I hope they're sitting at home watching with yeah. great interest about the successes I'm making along the way I think so I think you people are you you have done so much for diversity and inclusion in this country by being yourself and being honest and telling your story. Mm. And, and that's why, like, I've been really keen to get you on the pod, right? This yes, is- and thank you so much for persevering. Holy shit, how many times have Third we... Third time lucky, right? Third time lucky. Yeah. I think I was in one of the first cohorts in the invite list. You were, you were. I was yeah. like, as soon as I set a podcast up, I was like, I want to get my friend Mary on. Yeah. Fuck, we would have a great yeah, conversation. Yeah. So, so I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah, so, like, we've, weather's stopped us, you know, cancellations, your, your crazy schedule. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, so... <laughs> Obviously, the theme of the podcast, right, is like telling people stories, right? And you have an interesting story. So I'd love to sort of go back before mm-hmm. um, you were this weapon of change in the industry. And so talk to me about like what it was like for you growing up and and the process that you came to being authentically yourself. Yeah. Um, so grew up in small town, Matamata. Um, beautiful place. A, a beautiful place. The youngest of six I have or had. Um, he's still around, but an identical twin brother. We are clearly not identical anymore. <laughs> um, and I just grew up in a world in the early 80s that didn't really understand what um, being trans or gender dysphoria really was. I remember my mother taking me to a psychiatrist at Waikato Hospital 
uh, when I was five years old and the psychiatrist said, you know, we can send him away for you if you like. Um, Is this conversion therapy? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I probably don't need to tell you what my mother's response was, but we left the hospital with great gusto. Um, and Good on her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, growing up in a world where my parents didn't really understand what was what and one of my favourite sayings around who is who in the zoo, yeah. um, I had a really violent father. Um, who didn't appreciate who I was in comparison to my siblings. And so from a very, very young age, I started life right on the back foot with objections of who really I was forming to be um, from, yeah, from a young age. And so I suppose if you take that into the, and and fast forward, we'll go back, of course, but fast forward to where I am today, I absolutely know what it's like to not feel like I've belonged because that was intrinsically and part of my entire childhood you know and so that's probably the driving for one of the driving forces as to why i'm passionate about the work that i do but have you healed from that now like are you in a place where you've healed from that um you know i haven't spoken to my dad in 25 years and while i um probably would say that i could probably do better in that space i i would say that I have, but, you know, life is an evolving situation yeah. and um, I'm fine. I could be better, of course, in that space, but I, I choose to kind of, it was a time and a moment in my life that has helped build me to be the person that I am today. So yeah. I, it's no value add if I choose or not choose to have him in my life. So, yeah, I would say I have. Yeah. Awesome. I think, um, you know, we, like I've talked childhood trauma, right? It can, it, you can carry it for the rest of your life. It can, it can define you. And mm. so many people don't realise the value of psychology and understanding yourself. And Oh, I've had a lot of psychological support over my yeah, time. And I, I still see, I, I still have um, support in that vein. I think it's really important to address it yeah. because it does fester and it can actually impact on one's future. Yeah. My twin brother has a mental health issue and and having bipolar and being diagnosed with that from a young age for him was difficult. He manages it and is amazing now, but um yeah, child trauma can be incredibly tricky to navigate. So there's there's probably parents listening to this pod, right, mm. that have a young child at home who's going through some feelings, right, and they can't understand or empathise because it hasn't as they haven't walked in their shoes, right? So was it five when you knew? Yeah, well, no, it wasn't five actually. It was more um, double digit, double yep. digits. So sort of nine, ten, eleven. When I realised that I was not like my twin brother. Yeah. How did you know? Like, what, what were you feeling? So if you could articulate your thoughts at that age to give empathy to parents right now like what what were you feeling i was feeling literally like i didn't want what i had on my body to exist and i wanted more um and i think the best way i can sum that up is that having sisters i wanted a body like theirs right and i didn't have that and so while i didn't actually understand what the hell that meant at 10 or 11 I knew that it wasn't the body for me. And and with that came the emotional connection that I would make with a female body. And that was just a knock-on effect. And as I went through my teens and through high school, compounded by the difficulties with a a father the way he was and school being horrific. But then again, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s before I actually did something significantly about that. But 
um, it was a self-discovery time in many ways. What, and, what could parents say to their child or what could they do to help them? Like what – because so, so if my child came to me and said, Dad, I don't feel I'm in the right body or I feel different to everyone else and tried to articulate their thoughts, what mm. as a parent should I do? The number one thing that I have always said and encourage uh, when folks reach out to me with this exact question is to listen – um, and to absorb as much as you can, not to pretend that you're a, a doctor, yeah. unless, unless you actually are, um, or, or a psychiatrist and seek medical, you know, check in with your GP sooner rather than later to explore what DHBs have available to you because the systems that are in place, while are not perfect, are a hell of a lot better than they were 30 years ago. I, I think in today's world, and, you know, I've got 22 nephews and nieces and I have five, um, I'm, yeah, uh, three great nieces and two great nephews. So huge family and lots of kids around me. I imagine you're a great auntie. I'm the best, <laughs> absolute favourite. Um, they, there's a lot that's out there in the world today in 2023 that was not there 30 yeah. years ago. That kids are, you know, Harry Styles is wearing sequins to the fucking Grammys. Yeah. You know, that would just have never been seen. Yeah. We're seeing and feeling and hearing and looking at so much more that's out there. And I can't help but think that sometimes kids are doing what kids see and want to copy. And yeah. there's that whole. Uh, well, I've got to be in the cool group, and in order to do that, I've got to be a boy that wears nail polish, or I've got to be yep. a girl that shaves her hair. Which is while you know, do you boo? Um, but is that is are we creating a culture whereby it is you know really difficult for parents to get a handle on the best ways to navigate these conversations? I know for my brothers and sisters, I mean, they literally I'm in their favourites column to call, of course, but. I'm I'm not, you know, my journey was 30 years ago yeah. and it was completely different then to what it is today. Um, but again, my, my top go-to response to that is to listen and actually also be as understanding as you can. I mean, there's a hell of a, again, there's a lot more on, on available to parents about gender dysphoria yeah. um, today. Um not to probably also to contradict that, go too far down the rabbit hole because you can over-examine and, again, you know, Googleize the hell out of a situation unnecessarily. So it's just empathetically listening, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think that's the case in so many facets of, of life when you can actually shut up and listen to what the other person's got yeah. to say. Oh, how much you can learn. One of the things I say when I'm keynote speaking around the place is I absolutely love talking to strangers. Um, I don't particularly enjoy strangers who think they know me coming up to me at 6am in the Air New Zealand lounge to have a conversation and I haven't even sipped my long black yet. But um, I love talking to strangers because I learn so much about other people's lives and who and what and where and what makes people tick. But I think listening is a very important life skill. Yeah. I think I can one-up you on the 6am um, query lounge. I was in the gym the other day after a big workout, standing in my birthday suit naked and some guy in the change room, so this is, uh -huh. and then some guy came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, are you Troy, the podcast guy? I'd love to come on your podcast. And I turned around and I was like, dude, read the room. Uh -huh. 
know. That's a bit much. Yeah. 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 Okay, you win. Yeah. You win. Oh, I imagine you that win. you. I imagine that you win overall, but that one is hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's interesting you say the cool kids club now, right? Like there is a part of the kids being different and expressing themselves, yeah. you know, and it being cool now. And you know, I I was talking with my daughter the other day, and she was and she said, Dad, she said. Out of my 10 friends, there's only three of us that are straight. And I was like, really? And she said, wow. yeah. And I said, how do you know that? How do they know that? They were 13 at the time, turning 14. And she was like, oh, you know, that one, you know, one, um, one's trans now. One girl was, um, has com- converted to he, him. And she was like, most of my friends are bi, some are fluid, you know, and then there's a couple of us that are straight. And I was like, these are really complex things that kids are thinking about at 13, you know, and you know, it's it's hard for me as a parent to be able to have that conversation, and so that's when I ask you, I'm like, man, I just don't know, right? Like, mm. and so I, I said to her, well, how do you know that you're straight? Then you know, and she was like, well, I don't know, but I don't feel like I love women more than friends, and I don't feel, and she said sometimes I feel a little bit embarrassed and awkward around boys, and I was like, well, I, I don't. Yeah, that's a, that's, wow. a, that's an interesting the, combo. It, it really is. And here's the catch on all things DEIB. Inclusion actually isn't complex. How not to be an arsehole is relatively easy to do if you know what you're doing. Human beings are really complex. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been from as early as I can remember, and I think it's probably because of the influence that I had. So I dated a girl when I was 14 who's whose uncle was gay Mm. and I remember him coming to me after seeing her for like about three or four times and he said try I need to take you and have a quick like it was a beer I think at 14 in Australia you know you're drinking beer yeah Yeah. so he was like come and have a beer and then he sat me down and he said I need to let you know that I'm gay and I remember thinking at the time why is he telling me this you know like why do I care you know like why is it and I think I said something along the lines of okay um (laughs) Do you still want to play darts and drink beers? <laughs> you know, and he was like, "Yeah, very much so." But you know, I wanted to be able to tell you that so that you felt safe and comfortable. And I said, "I felt safe and comfortable regardless." And I think that was the moment for me that I sort of realised that I don't give a fuck what, like, who does anything in their life. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if people want to express themselves, be a certain way, live a certain life. As long as they're not an asshole, I don't care. Right? I yeah. love people, and I'm interested by people. And if they're authentically themselves, then I, I'm fucking all for that right mm. but I but you know but growing up in Australia at 14 years old um, a few of my friends came around and like the same conversation came up and they were horrified right and I remember thinking I remember wondering what do I think about this differently and maybe I like I've got to be really careful that peer pressure here and the likes but um so for me like it's I've always been really curious at why we have this culture of fear of change or fear of people expressing themselves because People are amazing mm. and I love talking to people. I love interesting conversations with people and I love it when we let our guards down, let our face masks off and just out ourselves, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think um, how I like to get off to sleep at night with the reality of the work that I have ahead of me being as significant as it is, we've all been institutionalised in a way to be, in a way to think, mm. in a way to understand for example our parents being you know when they were kids boys and girls were born boys and girls got married they had children kapow you Mm. know and that is not the way of the world and now and into the future and so how do we 
coach and have them unlearn some of those, some of that rhetoric um, and relearn a new way of doing things. Now, my mother, who's 75 this year, often will get my pronouns incorrect, Mm -hmm. which absolutely annoys me, particularly when you're in the middle of the new world in Matamata, where literally the entire supermarket went to school with me. It's embarrassing, but I let it go. Um, is that just for I, fraudulent slip for her? Though? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And she's the only one I'll let, let that go. I yeah. mean, taking my mother on is a heavy ask, and you'd never <laughs> want to do that in your wildest dreams. But, I mean, I was born her son. Yeah. And and that's never going to change. Um, there is an and there is an intention to obviously not upset me, but it has become steeringly obvious to me over the years that people who do go out of their way, um, even with all the learning that's out there, for folks to understand how, how to be as inclusive as they can be, um, uh, are innately just not prepared to lift and shift and 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 I actually love spending time with older people and and showing them and guiding them and you know I'm not as crazy as what the world would see trans woman to be um but there's a perception and so how can I be uh, supporting that as a change champion to make sure that people understand better um around this dimension of diversity I think we absolutely have come a long way, but there's still tons to do. And and, the, and it starts, you know, education is at the centre of it all, I suppose, too. You know, it's the pillar of all evil. And I think that parents who are being confronted with all of the things when it comes to their children understanding who they are, particularly with what they're being exposed to, can be a tricky time to navigate to. Do you think fundamentally it's religion well, so religion, well, this, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Right, this, this is no, quite think, the talk track. Yes. So, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, Lex Friedman podcast, um, talking to Ben Shapiro, and Ben Shapiro is a Jewish guy who doesn't believe in gay marriage, and, and I'm like, how the fuck can you not let people love each other and get mm. married, right? Mm. And he was saying, well, the institution of marriage is a male and a female who have children who procreate, you know, and religion, my religion says it's this and the like. And I'm like, man, religion, you know, is is holding the world back. You know, if that's that's the, the core pillar that we can't just let people love and be married and be happy and enjoy their lives. I'm just so fraught with a conflict here because I know some incredible Christian, really religious people um, who are my number one fans, who are my allies and my advocates and love and support me regardlessly. I have people who are religious that don't, uh, uh, are of the complete opposite to that. Um, yeah, I absolutely think it plays a part in the misunderstanding yeah. uh, and the inability for the thinking to not shift because there was Adam and Eve. Um, and I've, because I've touched on it just before about the fact that the work I have ahead of me is significant. Yeah. I can't let that cloud my energy and mm. my want and desire to help create change that I I choose not to. It is what it is, and I'm, that these are the cards that I've been dealt. How can I ensure that the cards are being reshuffled and uh, 
children your age, children that are in my ecosystem don't get dealt the cards that I had. Do you feel the pressure? Do you feel the pressure because you are a big voice, especially in the tech industry now, right? Your role, which we'll get into later, Mm. um, is fantastic, you know, that we have this ambassador like you and I, when I see you post online and when I see you do these things, I see Mary, right? I see my friend Mary. Mm. But often people say to me, you know, Mary, she's so busy. She's doing so much. Does she feel a pressure? And I'm like, well, I feel, I feel like Mary's doing it from the right place. But the higher she gets, I'm assuming the more you'd feel. Yes, but I, I, I probably thrive off it, um, which drives me more. I'm incredibly ambitious and I'm very divisive in my approach. But yeah, I mean, it's part and parcel of the fact that I've put myself out there for the last 20 years um, to be uh, an example and be made of someone that is um, willing to question the status quo and not steer away. In fact, I relish in the opportunity to have fruitful conversations. Definitely in the last few years, um, I've, I've, I've felt the um, intensity that is put on me, um, but I'm taking it in my stride, I think. And I, and I have an amazing network of people who are there to bear the brunt of some of that from time to time. I, I often attribute my success to the people that are around me because I wouldn't be where I am without a number of people. Um, I saw your fortieth birthday party online. Yes, holy fuck! <laughs> that when you talk when you talk about the number of people that stand you right, the that was a surprise birthday, by the way. And what was so amazing was that my husband uh, of eighteen years. Um, married for 11, but together 18, put that on with my best friends without me knowing. And I have spies in the sky (laughs) everywhere. Like he navigated that without me knowing. And every single person that was in that room meant something to me. And was I had school teachers, I had former bosses. I remember people that couldn't be there uh, sent a video and they played a video to me. Um, I... I often still think about that night, actually. It was the best night of my life. And when you are out there screaming from the from the rooftops about equity and inclusion and putting your um, story up for the world to judge, it's really hard to, to shower, to, to receive love back in such a... I mean, I was just... One of the things that my husband didn't do, my makeup artist was not in the room. I mean, what a fail. Knowing you, that's that's That's, a fail. I mean, makeup did do my hair and makeup beforehand, obviously. And, uh, but... I look like a drowned rat. Um, and, and so we cut the photos from sort of an hour after I arrived because I literally, I had eyelashes falling off. It was terrible. But just from crying? Just from crying because I was so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed and I don't take love is with ease. I much prefer to give it. It's much easier for me to do that. I'm more at home doing the giving than receiving. And I was blown away by the generosity of time. So talking about the the blessing of time or the mm. time, that is a nice sort of segue into timely in terms of the company that was acquired by um, Evercommerce. Evercommerce. How does a trans woman 
with no technology experience, become the chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer at a global technology company? Um, yeah, that's a question, isn't it? Um, and you throw the fact that I'm Māori in there as well. I mean, that's those are those are very interesting stats to read out. Do you know the story? No, you didn't. You don't, because that's why you've asked me the question. What a stupid question for me to ask I know ask the story, you. but I'm asking for our viewers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I There's an element of luck in every part of everyone's life. It was the right time in the right place. Ryan and I instantly connected. Um, Shout out to Ryan. What yeah, a lovely guy. One of the most amazing humans, um, and, and we're still very close and still spend time when we can um, IRL. But he, yeah, we just... We instantly connected. I fell in love. I mean, I lo- you know this. I love the hair and beauty mm. industry. I have done. I've had the same hairdresser do my hair in my house twice a week for the last 11 years. W- when the opportunity for me to meet with Ryan came up, I said to my assistant at the time, who the hell is Ryan Baker and what the fuck does Timely do? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, what's it's software? I don't want to. I had no idea. Um, of course I did because it's an online booking system for the hair and beauty industry. Yeah, you probably used it hundreds of Duh, times. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and when would I ever go to Dunedin? I mean, no one puts baby in the corner. I went to Dunedin. I had a speaking gig down there and the the, the, the worlds collided and Ryan turned up to meet me in a cafe 10 minutes late. Um, I had 45 minute window and I didn't want the conversation to stop. So it gravitated from a chat to, 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 to then him saying, well, look, I think you could do this inside our business. Would you consider it? Um, what did he want you to do? He wanted me to continue on with the work that Timely has done so well in navigating around inclusion yeah. and and really making a purposeful approach to that being at an executive level. Um, did that come from, because I remember a photo, so Timely, for people that don't know Timely, Timely's a remote first company. Mm. They would get together once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, twice a year, twice actually. Twice a year. Mid-year and end of year. And I remember a photo that Ryan or the team posted in the earlier days mm-hmm. of the, the team getting together and it was a bunch of people wearing white T-shirts, a lot of white people, you know, if I'm honest, and mm-hmm. they got a bit of criticism for it. And I remember Ryan oh. talking to Ryan and he was like, you know, we've got, you know, Lots of people from all – they mightn't have been there at the day and the likes. And I remember him feeling really hard about that, like him feeling really emotive about that. And so I, – I don't know that story, um, but what I know is that, uh, you know, Tony always and still does, um, we hire the best person and people for yeah. the jobs, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot – I can't speak for Ryan, um, but there is uh, – there, there, there is and was in his time in his reign at Timely a, a real opportunity to help create uh, a, a different way of doing things and he's you know innovation it runs through his veins that yeah. guy so um, he wanted me to take um, the people exec responsi- the people responsibilities at an executive level seriously and weave that into my passions for equity and inclusion and why not be New Zealand's first chief people and inclusion officer inside a booking software system okay cool let's do that so that began and 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 the groundswell that that created I was blown away from an industry that's always been in my mind and don't tell anyone I've said this a bunch of 
boys in a dark room with hoodies on drinking Mountain Dew Kodang, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Diet Coke or Coke Zero now. Coke Zero. Yeah. Okay, cool. Whoopsies. Um, but I, I, you know, fell in love with the with the business before I said yes. And um, so, what, he, what 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 was the like your thr- like 30, 60, 90 day plan in the role? Like, so if someone out there right now is listening and get and says. Fuck yes. Like, mm. that's a great role. We should have that in our business. Mm. What should they be looking at putting on the position description and what should they be looking at executing on this per, you know, this role? I mean, focus was on three pillars for me, human resources, yeah. um, employee relations and public relations because of my media background. So yeah. I was able to tick a couple of boxes in the sense that how do we make sure that we're continuing to cultivate cultures of inclusion from the work that was done prior to me arriving at Timely. How do we message that to ensure our people feel it, not just a a value that's on the website or printed on a piece of paper? And how do we ensure that that is then being spun out to our customers and in our community? And as you'll be familiar, Timely has a large community Mm -hmm. um, across platforms. So, that was kind of, in essence, the 90-day roundup for me. If I recall it well, um, not, not, not soon after the 90-day plan had been put in place, Ryan called me to tell me that he was beginning the due diligence process of uh, um, the company being sold to e-commerce, and I shat myself um, because I had spent my summer putting together a three-year people strategy <laughs> to which Out the window. it didn't really come to fruition. And parts, I mean, it did actually yeah. because I've often and probably still do get what I want. But yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. But um, and looking back, it was probably the best thing that Ryan ever was able to enable in me uh, given where I am now. But Timely, at the centre of everything that Timely has had has always been about its people. Yeah. Without them, I mean, we all know this, that they're our most important asset in any opera, in anything. Um, and he was, he, he, he's a very heart-led leader. And I fell in love with that because um, an industry that needs so much love and attention, he wasn't afraid to wear his heart on his sleeve and be vulnerable and be brave and have really bold conversations that was... Yeah, I was blown away by his enthusiasm to um, to do that, and he's he's still one of my favourite cheerleaders today. So, timely the remote first component, of course, is difficult. We also went through a stride of in twenty twenty one, you know, COVID. Yeah, um, I think you had Tom, Tommy handled that so well, mm. and it should be um, a case study for how you can navigate difficult times by ensuring your customers are your North Star, mm. you know. And I think everyone – I think I've seen a few blogs that are out there with that. People should read those blogs. Though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they should. And just navigating the fact that, you know, in order to retain folks, yeah. um, we reduce folks' salaries because we were facing significant headwinds. And that was just before my time. Through 22, we did have issues again with this re-spike of COVID. Yeah. Um, but our customers in the community loved the the way in which we turned up and lent in to support them. And uh, Ryan, Scoff and Will were able to pay everyone back and turn that business into the success that it is today, which is hence why it was acquired. Uh, acquired. Yeah. So I just want to go back to one little reference you made. You talked about mm. your role has an element of PR. Mm. And you, unfortunately, during your tenure at 
timely had an incident that happened with an employee that made some comments online in Melbourne Mm. and you made a video that was, I think I commented on the video saying everyone needs to watch this video. Um, Mm. When something happens like this, you know, like the way you handled that situation for me was fantastic. You know, you went out and spoke from the heart. You made a personal video to people and to the person. Mm. Um, Talk me through the process of that. Like what do you do in that situation when it's quite stressful and something happens and you have to act on it? Yeah, well, th- that was, it's just literally, as you're telling me this, it literally has come back. Like I got the call um, in, the, in the morning. We actually received a phone call at four in the morning from one of our team in London who had seen through Zendesk all these complaints coming through. So what had happened is that the employee had made comments to a very well-known Australian blogger. She had reshared them. Her followers had found out who he was found that he worked for Timely and just bombarded us. We had mm. hundreds of comments in a case of hours. So it was a, not only was it an HR, holy hecka situation, it was also, this is a brand PR yeah. issue. It was really about coming clean as an organisation without going into too much detail around, at the time of this, you know, doing the video. The team were like, you don't need to do the video. I don't know that that's, you know, as the SVP of people, this is a bit above and beyond. Um, we had just been acquired. So my American friends were very keen to uh, uh, address the growing media interest in Australia. And so I just made a decision and superseded everyone that told me not to, including the publicity company that we had hired in Melbourne to support us with immediate PR recovery. The comments were instantaneously praiseful, praising what the response was. And mm. so that's for me, like when I see situations like this, I'm always curious as a bystander how people react and how people handle things. And I think um, instantly that was a way that people just said, yes, thank you for your comments. Thank you for your video. We understand and we empathise. And then I know, and I watched it happen online, you know, in real time. It, it stopped being about timely and it became about the person like very quickly. And so people, because people naturally do that. When something bad happens, mm. right, they go, let's blame the company. That's mm. definitely the company's fault without knowing, holy shit, the company had no idea this was happening. And then your video dissected that again so that it became about a, a person who was ignorant you know, versus the company. And so, yeah, I think that was cool. Thank you. Um, It was about, it's a fine line in employment law, as you're well familiar, (laughs) and um, we couldn't breach confidentiality, of course. It was not scripted. That came from genuinely me giving myself a 15-minute window. One of the most annoying things, because I think it's been seen about 150,000 times, I didn't have my hair done. It was wet. (laughs) My hair was wet. Oh, my gosh. Um, but anyway, I've gotten over that now. But yeah, the heart-led approach that is always intrinsic and timely was to apologise um, and to front up. And uh, I've since had conversations with said blogger and uh, we follow each other on the gram and yeah. it's it's an amicable vibe now. But uh, then I had to roll from lights, camera, action. And, I, and, and as I've said to you before, I don't often watch back content that I've been in because I talk at the opening of an envelope to do a DEIB and I get sick of the sound of my own voice, as I'm sure you do doing these potties. So I, don't, I didn't look back. It wasn't until the next day that my team briefed me and said, it's actually had 30,000 views and you should read the comments. And I didn't read 
it was the, one of the first things I've seen in a long time of me watching back, but scrolling through the comments. I mean, I think I got to like 200 and was like, I'm done. Mary should be Prime Minister of Australia or whatever. And I'm actually <laughs> friends with Jacinda. So that may have striked a bad point with her. Um, but yeah, I, I think th- then I had to go from PR to HR. And yeah. It was an employment matter. And um, I had to be part of those investigation conversations. So that was a big week, actually. Yeah. Um, that was a really big week. That was the week that you were acquired. So talk me through. Yes, it was. Yeah. Talk me through what it's like to be working with a successful Kiwi company that is then acquired by um, Evercommerce is an American company. Yes. Uh, headquartered in Denver, Denver. Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So what? Talk me through that process. What's it like? What What should people expect when this happens? I was. Pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, having worked in Ogilvy before, that was run out of an American conglomerate, WPP, but had not been part of the conversations to the, through, through the acquisition and the, and, and the due diligence. It, yeah, I mean, at times it was scary. You're being confronted with, you know, 20 Americans on a Google call and, you know, we're just these six execs down here in New Zealand, like knowing exactly what we wanted to tell them, but there's a million and one questions from them to us. And, um, it was an amazing experience to go through, to be honest with you. Um, I probably wouldn't want to do it again in a hurry. <laughs> Ryan Scoff and Will absolutely chose, in my view, the best people to buy the job. I mean, Eric Reamer, our CEO for um, Evercommerce, is an absolutely beautiful human, and it reminds me so much of Ryan in many ways. You've got to have your wits about you, and I think you've got to be prepared to be open and honest because Americans love Kiwis. I mean, we work hard, uh, we play hard. Um, and we do business well here and we know what it takes to be hungry for customers because it's a, it's it's not as significant a market in this part of the world compared to America. And we had a very similar value base to Evercommerce as well. So, Who, who is Evercommerce, Evercommerce for people listening? Like what do they do? Evercommerce is a private equity firm in SaaS and we – Acquire have acquired over Evercommerce's um, fifteen year history fifty two companies across the globe that uh, are across three verticals: health, professional services, and uh, wellness and fitness. And so, we fitted into the wellness realm within Evercommerce, um, given we're a software booking system for the beauty and hair industry. So. I don't know exactly when the conversations began with with RB and yeah. Evercommerce, but um, it was it was the 9th of July, twenty twenty one, when 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 the acquisition happened. And would I do things differently if I if I could go back again? Because obviously we had to transition, folks. The business Tony was being bought by an American company, and then the founders were leaving. So. Yeah. I, I, I held Ryan's hand throughout that process with the other execs, but it was a, a, a really well thought out comms plan internally and externally. And uh, you will know this about Ryan that he hates talking to the media. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas I love it. Uh, so it was a fine line between managing expectations from RB, of course, involving um, RB, by the way, as Ryan Baker, otherwise known as Ratbag, um, and the Evercommerce comms machine, because of course, four weeks after they bought Timely Evercommerce IPO'd. Yeah. So there was a lot going on under, under one roof. But How, how do you, because when you're responsible for the people experience of Timely, mm. how do you ensure psychological safety for people that 
us, their culture was so tight at Timely, so, mm. so, so tight. Mm. And I'm, I've always found in my experience in recruitment, when cultures are that tight, it's hard, right? Because any little movement, any little change is like, what the like fuck? Like a bomb going yeah, off. Yeah. Who's moved my cheese? Everything's going to yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The fridge is being rearranged. Who the fuck gave permission for that <laughs> to happen? Exactly. I mean, it was a listening tour in many ways and integrating, which we're still working very hard. And not that I have a lot to do with the BAU of Timely these days, but, you know, integrating as much as possible, ensuring that that one culture that Timely have, has so desperately worked hard to achieve and has done and still is um, just in a bigger ecosystem in my view. But, you know, it was sh- explaining the why. You know, Ryan and Scoff had w- put their blood, sweat and tears into that business and they wanted to pursue other things. And so sharing his story was really more Ryan than Scoffs, yeah. um, was really important to nail that and do that well because we, he, um, you know, was like his fifth child, Timely, um, yeah. although the first because it was, yeah. So I, I, I think that, you know, as Ryan and Timely had done always also so well is just be honest and, yeah. and, and, and be transparent and, uh, that it will be okay, the sun will come up tomorrow. What we found through the listening tour is that, of course, people who have been through really bad acquisitions in tech, that triggered them, thinking that that would be the case for Evercommerce. Mm. And I would hope that with time, people who were the most sceptical and didn't be as curious as I would have preferred have seen that actually it, it wasn't a bad time i mean was there things that we could have done differently absolutely there always is when you retrospectively look back at such a significant shift we weren't just going and replacing the wallpaper um we were painting and and changing some furniture around as well so the building while still very sound and the foundation still very solid still today we we, there was change and people we know don't take that often very well change is the only thing that's a constant uh that in taxes um is is the and in fact, I'm actually involved with my role within Evercommerce, partly in still being a part of mergers and acquisitions that we are looking at now and into the future, and making sure that we have you know a solid comms plan, that we have a solid way of doing things, and that people feel like they're being brought, brought along on the journey. There's nothing worse than having that inability to jiggle when you've, particularly for folks that have been there for a very had been there for a very long time. Awesome. And I think now it's it's fantastic to see that your experience is building in a global capacity now, mm-hmm. like in the information and the experience that you're able to be, bring back to little old New Zealand. Um, for those listening that they're wondering, what the fuck does diversity, equity, inclusion mean? Yeah. What, what would you say to them? Uh, well, as cited saying on a, on, a, on a morning TV program recently, um, when I'm asked that exact question, it's about accepting um, it's about accepting others that are different to you and respecting um, one's opinion. But diversity ultimately is a fact. You know, there are 134 ethnicities that live and work in New Zealand every day. We can't change that. I don't give a shit who you are. That can't change. Equity is a choice. You choose to uh, invite Tom, Dick and Harry to the party or you choose to um, be a prick or not, actually. Inclusion, that's the action. So when you've 
really nailed the pursuit of diversity and equity down. That's when you really start saying, actually, just because I'm in a minority group, that doesn't mean I can't engage with the majority. And belonging for me is by far the most important of the four. It's I always forget belonging. I always forget B, and so I'm interested to hear your take on Yeah, this. belonging for me specifically, and if we can go right back to the top of this pod, I know what it's like to not feel like I belong. Yeah. And everyone listening, watching this pod right now will have at one time in their life, or multiple times, felt like they haven't belonged. So when you're able to nail each of the three pillars in DEI, that's where you really see the the gold and the unicorns and the rainbows and 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 and, and so on come come forth. I think that for me is where it is an emotional connection to a business and a brand whereby an organization and I hold my exec colleagues at Evercommerce to account on this that we are having to do this purposefully do this in a business because that's more important now i mean earning the right amount of money having what you need to do the job is important yes but people want to feel connected to a business and we know that when people feel connected we get better outcomes they're more productive they work in high performing teams they want to tell their mates at the pub on the friday night that they work for this kick-ass business uh, they want to feel proud about that. We know that when that happens, it generally means there's a wonderful churn in income because customers love it, stakeholders love it. That then also means shareholders and the board love it. That means you've got a high-performing, amazing organisation. And yeah. that is what I know we're striving towards at Evercommerce. It's not easy. It's, it, and I'll give you my lens on it from a recruitment point of view. Companies that I recruit for that think seriously about DEIB and it's genuine in their business are so wonderfully wonderfully easy to recruit for because I can find the right person regardless of where they've come from, who they're fucking, you know, like what their belief system is. I was going to share this with my mother until you just said that. I don't know if she's wanting to hear that that bit in the podcast. but Yeah. yeah. We can edit that part out. (laughs) But for me, like it is so easier to recruit for your company and they scale so much faster. Yeah. Their revenue is so much better. People can walk in and they can interview the best of the best because anyone, they can get access to the whole pool, the whole talent pool they get access to. When a business, and this has to be, and 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 people would have heard if you've heard me speak publicly before. I've said it until the cows come home. Work this important has to be led from the top. I don't give a shit whether you can have DNI groups, you can have employee resource groups, you can have infinity groups, grassroots conversations. Well, I do give a shit. That's amazing, but it has to be endorsed from the top. And the mere fact that I'm a woman of colour that's trans, living in Aotearoa, New Zealand, doing this work for an American publicly listed company, no big deal. But I am... It's a big hold- deal. <laughs> Maybe it is a little bit. I am very aware that... America has a lot of complexities in this space that is quite dissimilar to how New Zealand has done this work and done it well. What I am never going to stop doing is pushing the envelope further and further across the table. I've got a seat at the table, so I'm heard. As you know, you don't get a chance to not hear me when I'm in a room. But the message that I take and the position of influence and sphere that I don't take lightly is that I sit at the table and hold 
space for people that don't get the chance to do that. So I have an actual responsibility that I've taken really seriously and I don't take that for granted. When we talk about the pressure of my ecosystem and my bubble, yeah, that's probably the bit that is the linchpin for me that can be incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. Is it fair to say that from my conversations with you, mm. you are not, when you're going into a business, you're not pushing the agenda of DEIB for the sake of pushing it. Like you're, and I'm trying to articulate this in the right way because I want to get the message across clearly. You're thinking about business performance, commercialization, mm. revenue. You're thinking about people. You're thinking about all these things. And so like for me, whenever I chat with you about it, it's, it's part of your DNA, right? And you're getting it across and you're making sure that people hear your message, but you're also thinking about the larger business as well. And mm. I think that's why it works. You're doing it so well and you're the representation that people are looking at and thinking, yes, this this works really well because you're doing it from a, you know, it just exudes from you without it being a forced narrative. Yeah, I think that... I think that has won me some favours. It also has also had people question, um, in part, what my motives are. I can recall... Is it because of people who are listening to that think that you should be pushing it harder or... Potentially. And I, I you know, I'm not going to get anywhere if I go in guns blazing on the old white guy. Because here's the catch with me. I have only ever had old white men champion me and so I've spent the time to educate and encourage a healthier conversation that to me proves the point that when you're able to actually have a succinct conversation whereby I'm being inclusive to hear their perspective then that is switching the conversation and I'm not excluding them if I was to be bold and disruptive like some folks are in the space in the boardroom I'd get nowhere no one wants to be told what to do I need to listen, as I've said earlier, you know, listening to other perspectives is what helps create cultures of inclusion. If I end up not doing that, then I'm a big fraud because I'm wanting the rainbows and unicorns to come from the clouds, but I'm not prepared to listen to how they get there. That isn't going to get me anywhere. And so navigating those conversations takes some energy from me to, to nail that. We have 44 precedents across 53 companies that we own within Evercommerce. 99.9% of them are right with me. There are some that still need some convincing and they just need time to yeah. be shown a different way. And I'm okay with that. No one is an asshole in a leadership position at Evercommerce. It would be a very different conversation if they were. Um, and I know that if there was, I'd have the full support of my exec colleagues there to actually do something about n- navigating that. Being curious and less defensive is is a really powerful way to approach DEIB in my view. Yeah. And I think now is, you know, history's on our side. It's it's no longer okay to, to suppress and not let people be their true and authentic selves at work. I think the businesses that you're talking to, I mean, I know you wouldn't even engage in a conversation with someone in a business model that would not be over candidacy, you know, you, you're looking to bring in candidates, hiring the best person for the yeah. job is paramount. And I and I applaud you, you as a recruiter and as a business owner in this space because actually who gives, like you say, who cares? Can they do the job? Um, and, and, and I think also those that are not 
those that don't, and I'm not saying go out and have a senior vice president doing this work in every business. It would be great if I had another pair that did this in New is Zealand. The, is there anyone else in New Zealand at the executive not, ex, not at an exec level, no. I mean, there are lots of people in advisory, manager, director type roles, but not not at influencing true strategy, no. There's not. a guy that keeps coming up on my LinkedIn who's a young white guy, straight white guy, hmm. who seems to be portrayed as the DEIB expert, you know, in tech. And I'm like... Oh. I feel unauthentic about that. Like I feel that feels to me like, and I, and I struggle with this as a white Pakia, you know, chap myself. Like how how you're can pretty I... ACDC though, Dale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you 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 you're right up there with my collection of wonderful human beings. That is, I wish I, there were more Troys in the world. Actually, I mean, maybe, but, do I really wish? No, I trust me. There's, <laughs> I, Apparently there's a guy in, in Auckland at the moment. I keep getting – people keep messaging me saying, are you in Auckland? There's a guy who looks exactly like you. And I'm like, "No, is he uncouth and drunk? <laughs> <laughs> if, if he is, it's if me. If he is, it's you. Yeah. yeah. But how does someone like me feel safe mm. talking about our message online? Because even this particular chap that I was talking about, I know him and he's fantastic and he's amazing and he's having these wonderful conversations and I think a lot of young white men are listening to him because they admire him, right? Mm, but great. some some people are like, he shouldn't have that conversation, you know? That should be, uh, you know, coloured skin, like person, female, someone having yeah. that authentically and I'm like, well, everyone should be talking about it, right? I, I mean, I'm part of, you know, this is not about me, I'm part of a very small cog and a massive engine. And I think that if anyone and everyone is talking in a factual, um, succinct manner about this work, then go for it. I don't necessarily have an opinion around the person because they could, while presenting as a white straight guy, could have a Asian wife or a Māori yeah. mother or, you know what I mean? So I... I, I think the more, the merrier uh, having these conversations is great. Um, those that are naysayers and those that actually probably swing on the side of, well, it's not what I would, you know, the, 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 the even keyboard warriors in many ways. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I would be, if, it, if you can relate to said person, yeah. subject matter expert talking, then I would say go for it because, awesome. yeah, I'd say go for it. Excellent. So one question that I have for you is mm. um, it's in the world that we live in now with keyboard warriors and people that live so extremely on the left or so extremely on the right, you know, in these little tribes and ideology groups, it's, it's, it's almost to the point where we're scared now to talk about things, to make comment, to explore our thought, to try and, you know, get things out and get the message out and to... You know, like, like for example, in, in that situation, right, like saying, right, well, I want to be, um, I want to be someone that supports, you know, this space and I want to be able to talk about it online without worrying about exactly what I'm saying at all times so I don't say the wrong thing to offend someone. What advice can you give to someone that is nervous about what they should say? Like even me when I talk about, I keep forgetting to be, right, belonging, right? So like, or when I'm talking about, you know, um, LGBTQ or um I'm like I don't know what the right thing is now, right? But I'm, I mean, I tend to get away with it because people are like, "Ah, oh, it's just Troy; he's a fucking idiot," anyway, right? But a lot of people, my friends, you know, they're like, "How do you have confidence saying things?" I'm so scared to say the wrong thing. Do you know what it comes down to? Intention. If you're intentionally just 
being authentically you and 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 not over engineering or in fact actually not with which is never and uh, that's not you at all to to be a prick then make a mistake it's okay as long as you know that you can come back from that and and correct yourself autocorrect don't harbor the fact i think it's important not put pressure on you i mean not even i know all the bloody acronyms <laughs> rightly you know i remember being i was speaking at an event in singapore when the guy was running through my prompter and he said to me as literally I was about to walk out on a stage saying, you've missed the plus at the end. And I'm like standing there going, I'm sorry, what? Very large corporate sent me there to speak for 40 minutes. Um, And he said, it's LGBTIQ plus. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know who the hell you are, but um, cool. And uh, the Herald picked it up the next day and I had been, I said the wrong thing. I didn't use the, it's fine. I mean, it's not, we're all navigating this. Yes, there's a, there's a way and there's academic rigor that lines up behind a lot of what we talk about in DEIB, but don't be afraid. I think that the fear that comes from that is that we have to be politically correct. We ha- and, and yes, you do. When My pronouns are she and her. I even wore the badge today. Um, but if there is an intention to not be a mean bean, great. I think underpinning that from a respect perspective is that if you if you were in the receiving end of that, whatever it is that you were to say or not say, and it was to offend you, then perhaps not say that. Yeah. Um, and over the year, you know, I've had weird and wonderful people come up to me and say, ask me all sorts of questions about genitalia. And, you know, I've had women, women uh, stroke my hair, pull my hair, just because they thought it was a wig. Um, would you do that to someone else? Or would you want that done to yourself? I mean, that, those would be the things that come to mind for me. Yeah, that's mm. that's a really good lens on it. Thank you. Mm. Um, for people listening to this now that are like, you've inspired me. I'm in a technology company. I hear this. It's authentic. It's real. I see that success is going to come from this. Like Timely is such a great case study. If you are so inclusive and so love your people just from your heart, you know, that you can scale and grow a business that is successful, that can be acquired, that can continue growing. Mm. Like what, what are some of the first little steps that they can make if they want to change their culture? Listening to you, asking your people what they want, asking your people what, what in, in a survey, as easy as that sounds, or in all, ta- all, all hands, all company addresses, actually having an open and honest conversation from leadership um, and then putting a plan in place. To, to highlight key areas, I mean, it's uh, folks, DEIB brings out the very best in people. There are a lot of passionate people, and you'd be surprised if you don't know it already in your organisation if there are people that have an affinity to, towards a dimension of diversity, whether that's race, ethnicity, gender, uh, sexual orientation, etc. A- and And form a plan that actually has you looking and feeling better about what inclusion means to you. Um, there's amazing resources online and professional bodies around that support organisations no matter where they are. Because I think the linchpin here for me also is that no matter where you begin as long as you are and that there's no finish line. You know, it's a constant work at. The journey is never done. Mm. I can't give certificates to people and say, boom, bitch, you're good to go. It doesn't work like that. The world's evolving. It's evolved 
and it constantly is, the world around us is changing. And if organisations and people in them aren't keeping up, then the talent pool uh, is, is, isn't is going to be there. And if I even talk on talent, I, I don't, the, the days of me actually interviewing people are, 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 I don't do that very often these days. But when I am, people want to know exactly what we're doing in this space. It is one of the top five questions that we asked across our e-commerce businesses around diversity and equity. What are we doing and what are we not doing? And how do I know that I'm going to feel like I belong here? Which is amazing. Um, it's big it's, in VC land too now, right? It like, is, yeah. Huge. And it's very scary if businesses mm. in New Zealand, tech particularly, because tech is... Um, we, we, we don't have a habit of looking in on ourselves. We're worrying about the product and what our customers are feeling and seeing it, I feel. There's lots of work that can be done. And I think that when businesses have, a, like with anything, a great strategy and you can see points of execution on that, great things will come. I think for me, my father is a good example of what I tell my founder and startup people that I'm working with. And I say to them, it's not as large change as you think. It's mm. it's tiny little changes that make it easier and easier and easier and easier, you know, as time goes on. Mm. And so my my father is a good example. My father, Ozzy, you know, grew up in that I've era. I've seen him on your grand. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. So with, his, in, with his huge eyebrows. Yes. You know, like he grew up um, homophobic and all these things and, you know, like, and then I remember when I was young I had a conversation with him. He said something and I said, oh, I don't agree with that, mate. You know, like I think we should just be respectful of people. And he went, yeah, you're probably right, you know, and then he um, – and then I remember he said something and it just – and then like he kept coming up to me afterwards like almost weirdly and he'd say – we should be respectful of people with all, like different races too, right? And I was like, yeah, mate, <laughs> you know, like just people are humans, right? And it just, it was like domino effect, like in his mind and I could see it happening, right? And it was just, and then it just turned into, he just doesn't, he just loves people for people now, right? And they should call him Tyrone. amazing. Yeah. How old is your, you, he just celebrated a birthday recently. He's 72. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, and so I said that to my founders, right? There were people, because they say to me, I, I get, Companies approach me wanting to like recruit. I walk in and if there's a bunch of 10 dudes sitting around, white dudes, you know, with their skateboards by the desks, coding, I say, have you thought about how you're going to scale this business if that's, you know, what it looks like right now? And they're like, you know, well, we just want people to feel the same and we don't want to have to change. We don't want, we don't want to worry our team, you know, that things are going to change. And I'm like, well, you probably, you probably have no idea what your team's thinking right now because you haven't asked them, but if you just say to yourself, right, like, so I'll tell them, go off and do that Harvard implicit bias mm-hmm. thing, right? Just mm-hmm. because a little simple change like that can be just thinking of being aware about your biases for a start. And then that lens that you look through will change, which will slowly look domino effect. And one example of that is a client of mine who I won't name, who said to me, no, no, that's our culture. We don't want to change our culture. And we're not racist or homophobic or anything. We just don't want to change our culture. And I said, okay, look, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to recruit for you. And we said, we're not going to. He said, he sent me an email afterwards and said, I'm really annoyed, you know, that, you know, normally we tell recruiters we don't want to work with them. And why is this recruiter saying they don't want to work with us? And so I sent them a really nice email and said, this is what a great company to me looks like. And so I just said, this is my ideal client. I didn't tell them what they were doing wrong or anything. So I just said, this is my ideal client with super inclusive. Anyone can work there. The founder leads from the top in terms of what great looks like and blah, blah, blah. And then about a year later, I got an email back from that company and said, 
you're absolutely fucking right, Troy. We have been fucking this up. You know, we we can't hire whoever we want to hire now. And I said, yeah, you're not inclusive, right? Like you are this little microculture. Um, and then I just watched it over the next two years change to be the best workplace ever by little incremental changes of just freeing themselves of worry. I think companies have to get out of their own way sometimes when they're so rigid and 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 have a mission in mind and if someone's going to come in and question that the facts and figures and information now available on the importance of doing this work and and reaping the benefits when you do this work well everyone does well because of it uh you can't hide from that what an amazing story to be able to actually know that you've you've helped lift and shift in so many ways i mean i think you know there are many, many champions around that want to do well. They often know the why, but they just need to be shown the how. Yeah. And and hats off to this company for recognizing because it's hard to stand in the mirror and and and, and take a good hard look at yourself. Yeah. Um, I went into the office last week. Oh no, it's a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago now. Um, and they had an Afghani lunch day because they had this um, Afghanistan woman who was working there that was trying to educate people on what she ate, you know. And I was, like, walking around the room thinking, man, imagine, like, two years ago, you know, like, wow. would never have happened. Yeah, so wow. That that makes me happy, right? Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, that's which, an achievement. That's absolutely an achievement. And I think what happens is the knock-on effect from that actually is that company will be touching many other companies, and then if, if those many other companies haven't already figured that that's the vibe, they're saying, oh, goodness, what's going on over here? And and that's how I've navigated back before working inside Timely when I was with the National Body of Workplace Diversity and Inclusion. I would navigate conversations with some pretty heavy and important chief executives around New Zealand on the fact that actually when you lean in and you're demonstrating what inclusive leadership looks like, and you're going to the golf course on Saturday and you're having a yak with other said CEO of other said large multi-million dollar business, they're going to go ping pong, ding dong, aha moment coming through. You're going to look like the coolest kid on the course. So why would you not want that? Now that is a, sure, that is, and I don't do tick boxing, nor do I do inauthentic, but if it means that I can get a better outcome, I'm going to create the groundswell because, honey, you need to tap into that. And actually, it's not a competitive advantage. It's an essential advantage in my mind. But the the no one wants to be left behind. Yeah. And I feel like this, the moment that we're in with DEIB across the Western world, the time is now. And if you are not focusing in one part or pillar of your business that this isn't a success for not only yourself – your bottom line, your people or your customer. You're the smokers of commerce. Yeah. You know, you're the people in the downstairs now, you know, the, the few people still doing it, right? Like that's, you're being left behind. Yeah, yeah. And the sad thing is that there are businesses and people in them that still think that they're not, that they don't have a problem and that the problems with those that are championing the change. What becomes very obvious while they still tickety-boo in the corner when you engage with them when you're not that organisation and you've actually been progressive and innovative in your thinking in DEIB, 
you go back and see those organisations and you just get such a short, sharp, holy shit balls! where did you come from? And how are you, like, what you did? Hun, that's not the way. And not as, I mean, I'm proud of you for not ripping them a new asshole, actually. That's unlike you. Well, to- we, I used to fire clients straight away and I used to be very vocal about it and I've yeah. had a bit of a life epiphany. I'll talk about this on a podcast, but I took acid and did a real crazy psychedelic experience where I tried. While to, with a client? No, not while with a oh, client. Tried to try and say crazy. Yeah, yeah, to try and understand myself, to get rid of my anxiety, to sleep better, and I came out of that realizing that I need to be a positive force on the world, and I need mm-hmm. to be a cheerleader, and I need to up people, and you can't up people by being like I was, you know, like I thought I was, I thought I was authentically myself being the zero fucks guy that would just say, you know, this is who I am. But what I realized is that I was actually harming people. I was actually being too abrasively honest that it would actually make people feel poor about themselves or I wasn't teaching them. And so I realized that now when I talk to people like that, that share different views from mine or share what I believe is the, the wrong narrative that I need to educate them through kindness and mm. so, and the only way I can do that is by not critiquing them and pushing the blame on them, so that they feel more guilt. That becomes a a, a a big black circle or a big black cloud around them. But it is around saying, "Well, this is what good looks like." And as Michelle Obama says, "They go low, we go high." Hi. And I, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you fight fire with fire, you're going to end up nowhere. When you bring this to the boardroom, it's not only a professional conversation, it's personal as well. And when you want to show up as a leader and and not actually sharing your mind can often, you know, particularly for upfront and direct folks like you and I, can be tricky because you don't want to offend, but you also don't want to not be yourself. In diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, it's a fine line because, of course, you've got all of the things to to keep in check but if there is an intent to be a good human and 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 kill folks with kindness then you can't go wrong really mm, i um, love that i love that that makes me happy yeah which is a really great segue into our final question mm. which i always ask um what makes you happy mary what makes me happy i tell you what i saw online that i thought really made you happy was your um, walk-in wardrobe. <laughs> Darling, wrong terminology. It's a wardrobe room, <laughs> not a walk-in wardrobe. Uh, yes, my wardrobe room does make me happy because the nine-year-old boy uh, who didn't know what they wanted to be always wanted a wardrobe room. And it's such a significant how I look and how I turn up at work is important. I get a lot of flack from my colleagues about... Um, the I don't wear t-shirts um, very often and if I do they're under a blazer or I will rock up wearing perfume and sit in front of my computer for 12 hours a day um, I, I turn up like I'm going to work uh, I don't I, anymore I did used to uh, wear stilettos um, or, or, or shoes I don't anymore turning up and being my whole self is so much a part of what I wear. And as you know, that that is um, quite a collection of clothes. And so, yeah, my wardrobe room does make me incredibly happy. You know, as cliche as it sounds, having a husband who is very low-key, who absolutely hates 
uh, we have a photo shoot at the house this weekend uh, for for a magazine, and he just absolutely hates having to do this, but he realises it's part of my mission. Um, he is the powerhouse that actually truly is part of the engine room that makes Mary possible. I, I, I'm happy when I'm with him. He also has a full career, so doesn't get to we don't get to spend as much time together as we would like. Um, and and I, I, I love seeing people and businesses thrive by them being themselves. And if I've been part of someone's journey to make that happen, that incredibly makes me happy. I have a lot of work to do, and that's been the theme of what I've shared with you today. But I think that when there are champions around as vocal as you and others that are particularly in recruitment, but in tech, while the work ahead is tricky to navigate and who really knows what that will look like in the years to come, when I'm ready to to retire, which will be, you know, in in 10 years, I'm going to be stepping back from corporate life within the next 10 years, rather. Um, I want to, I I want to have helped influence a workforce in a positive way that can continue because this work will never be done. So that, that is what, that is what keeps me happy, drives me. Yeah. Well, I think you already are Marianne and that's really why I wanted to get you on the podcast. And so Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Yeah, I can't wait to um, chat with you again. Hopefully it's going to be over six to ten gin and tonics or something, not over a podcast with coffee. That would be great. Until then, thank you. Thank you. That was a fantastic podcast and I've just been chatting with Jono, our producer, after the show wrapped up and Mary left and he told me about what resonated with him or what sort of was pertinent for him is that he's he's been working with the police and doing videos and he said a term that was really pertinent or relevant in the police was mana enhancing and mana enhancing is around like if you're going to be arresting someone or if you're going to be detaining someone there's a there's a better way to do it you know you can do it with a mana enhanced way and i think that's what resonated with Jono and me throughout that podcast is Mary's mana and the way she enhances businesses through the knowledge that she can share on diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging and do it in a way that is mana enhancing. And I believe every word Mary says, I love her, I adore her. She's a a fantastic weapon that we have in this industry and I look forward to um, everyone hearing her story. Thank you for everyone that's subscribing. I'm blown away with how big this podcast is getting. It's fantastic that you can create a podcast where you're telling or helping people to share their stories and it's connecting with lots of people inside and outside of the tech startup ecosystem. And so thanks for everyone that's sharing the post. Thank you for the people that are subscribing and spreading the word. And for those that aren't, welcome, jump on, like, subscribe, ring the bell, all those things. Comment on the platform that you're currently watching about why I loved it and who you want to hear from next. And until next time, thank you so much. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Films.